You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. We want insight on the draft. We want to talk about this system. And a guy who knows a whole lot about both of those two things is Eric Longenhagen, who you should be following on Twitter. Just his last name, at Longenhagen. A Fangraph's lead prospect analyst. I chat with him a bunch on my prospect show on SiriusXM. He's a wealth of knowledge. I know it's a busy time here for you. You're loading up the sleigh on December 20th. We got the draft. We got the futures game and the trade deadline all coming up. So the prospects industry is a buzz. Thanks for hopping on with us, Eric. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's look at the top of the draft board first. I want to just go through some of the names to familiarize our audience before we really zero in on the Nats. Let's talk Drew Jones for a moment. Seems like he's unequivocally the highest ceiling guy in this class, maybe a gold glover. This is Andrew Jones' son. Tell me about the hit tool and the player and, and how big the gap is between he and the other top talents in this class. Yeah, this is sort of similar to how Byron Buxton was viewed as the most talented player in his draft class. Drew's got huge power now. I mean, at 14 years old, he was working out here in Arizona at the the Angels Spring Training Stadium. And some of the other guys from this class in the last couple of draft classes were there. Um, And he was putting balls out of a big league stadium at age 14 in BP and has his his father's defensive acumen and he's a big, strong strapping kid in that like Fernando Tatis, Luis Robert physical mold. It was just, we, it was weird over the summer showcase circuit when he's facing most of the other best kids in his class, the guys who throw harder than the average pitcher he will see during his senior season, like playing varsity ball at his high school. So like, this is an important window for evaluation and he wasn't pulling the ball at all. So is there something that maybe needs to be tweaked swing-wise to ensure that he's not vulnerable at the very top of the strike zone? Maybe, you know, to unlock all of the power, maybe. But just in terms of the foundation that this guy has, tools-wise, the defensive the piece of it, which ups his floor to some degree, uh, and just the ceiling if you do unlock everything with a swing tweak he's in that Buxton area everyone knew there was some hit tool risk with Buxton but everything else was just so huge that nobody really cared now Houston didn't go that way they took Carlos Correa uh, and so it's possible that we have Michael Elias at the top of this draft with Baltimore was the scouting director in Houston for that Buxton Correa draft uh, and his MO has been to cut an under slot deal spread the bonus around have a big class on the whole rather than just taking maybe the best guy uh so we don't really know who's going to go one 
but Drew, from a talent standpoint, absolutely belongs one. Jackson Holiday, the name is familiar because Matt Holiday finished, I feel like finished playing like a week ago, and now his son's getting ready to get drafted, and I'm so old, and it, it pains me to think about these things, but uh, I, I want to hear about him. Yeah, there's a lot of that in this in this class. Matt yeah. Holiday's kid, Carl Crawford's kid. Uh, it's going to continue to happen, folks. But yeah, Jackson Holiday, I had him in the in the middle of the first round coming out of last fall, and then he's another one where came to Arizona during his spring break to take BP and work out for teams during spring training. It was really smart because when you look over at one field and there's everyone's A-ball kids, and then you look over at this field and here's Jackson Holiday and his younger brother, by the way, who will probably go very high two drafts from now. You know, you look apples to apples at these players who are the same age, and Jackson Holiday's putting balls out of a big league stadium into the teeth of the wind and was as successful from a bat-to-ball perspective uh, on that summer showcase circuit as any other high schooler uh, and has a better chance to stay at shortstop than most of them. He absolutely belongs in, in the top five. And, you know, he, I think, is, you know, two or three, uh, depending on how you feel about him, Tamar Johnson, Brooks Lee, uh, Holiday's definitely in that area. Now, you just mentioned the name Tamar Johnson. you got to help me here. So I... I... I've heard from people with teams and who cover the draft, like this is an unbelievable kid. And they, like just talking to him, you want everything in life for this guy. We also know that it's one of the prettiest swings that scouts have seen in years. And the offensive profile for a high schooler is very low risk to hit for average. But I see a short guy who will play second. And normally that's not a profile out of high school that I see at the top of the board. So what am I missing here? I think it's not all that different than Riley Green or Jared Kelnick at the time where you just felt so safe and warm. They had performed so well against all the best kids. Kelnick was older than, than the rest of them, but, but otherwise, even if you thought, eh, maybe they play center field or in, in Johnson's case, shortstop, but probably move to a corner or in Johnson's case, second base, you still felt, a certain stability with, with that player and knew that if things broke in the right direction, that there was huge ceiling. And that's how I think about Jamar Johnson. And uh, if he went to college, if he came to Arizona state somehow, he'd be their starting shortstop. He's good enough from like a hands and actions standpoint that he can play there right now. And he should probably develop there uh, primarily just to see, but yeah, his size, which is to say that he is short and already at this age, his, his body's pretty maxed out. This is not like Drew Jones or Elijah Green or Jackson Holiday, where there's room for 15, 20 pounds uh, before he starts to slow down. And so you don't know if Johnson will there's, – there's like small risk that he falls all the way down the, def, the defensive spectrum just because of how all of us tend to age into our 20s. We get bigger. Uh, so – there's a little bit risk there, but just in terms of the confidence in the hit tool and how much playable power there is. And yeah, he's such a wonderful young guy. Uh, everyone is in and I, he'll be somewhere squarely in the middle of my overall hundred as these draft guys migrate to the, to the pro lists. 
Eric, with the Nats at five, is there a chance that either Elijah Green or Brooks Lee ends up uh, right there for them to select? And I'd love for comparisons between those two. One of the best college bats against a guy you mentioned, size, 6'3", 225, that can hit the ball that far, doesn't grow on trees. Yeah, so I think I think there's a chance Green goes as high as three. Um, he has swung and missed quite a bit in high school. Like, it's rare for us to have so much, as much high school data as we do for someone like Elijah Green, who not only do we have all the showcases up, but we have all his IMG Academy statistics. And uh, he's swinging and missing at a rate that if you were a college player, it would be kind of concerning. It would be in like a Bobby Dahlbeck area where you think, well, there's just so much power here. He's probably going to play some sort of role, but he's, you know, strike out like 40% of the time. Uh, So it's possible that that is what Elijah Green is, except in center field. But also, if you can get the back-to-ball stuff in a serviceable area, then he's just the star-level player. He can have a 40-hit tool, play a good center field, and if he hits for enough power, like he's still an incredible player. So um, I think Brooks Lee at switch hitting shortstop, he's had some injury stuff in high school, back pretty severe. Part of why he ended up going to college is because teams were scared of his medical coming out of high school. So uh, that's pretty interesting. But man, he's, you know, he can play a viable middle infield and he's a college performing switch hitter with rare power for a middle infielder. Like that sounds really good. So uh, I think that as those five guys who we've mentioned put the Nats in a spot where that's like tier one or maybe it's tier one drew and everyone else is in tier two but if they wanted to if they felt confidence in uh you know if elijah green is there like as long as you don't think he won't hit at all right then he can just be your guy they can kind of sit there in this like catbird seat where they can kind of hang out and probably end up with someone here in tier two Breaking down the top of the draft, the Nats are on the clock at number five, getting you some insight on these prospects with Eric Longenhagen. You should check him out in fan graphs. He just wrote about the Nats system. In fact, we'll ask him about that in a moment. So just to double down on, on this idea of the fifth pick here, I wanted to start with you giving our listeners those uh, analytical points on a lot of these players so that they kind of have profiles with names. If you wouldn't mind and we got a lot of a time here, a lot of hours and a lot of boards still being put together before the draft comes. But just workshopping it right now, what you think could happen in the top five and, and who's going to be there for them. Do you think Drew Jones to the Orioles at one? And then what does that mean for the Diamondbacks at two through that fifth pick? I Baltimore, again, Baltimore is their GM has done things the other way. Historically, they cut deals with guys under slot and then spread that bonus out to the rest of their picks. So you only have so much pool space, right? I'm sure listeners probably know this much, right? That if you have a, you have a bonus slot at one, let's say it's 10 million. If you agree to a $7 million deal with someone at one, it gives you $3 million more to play with in your like bonus pool space for that draft. And so Mikey Elias's tendency has been cut a deal spread the bonus pool out to other guys. And that's helped them get Cody Mayo and Carter Baumler and, you know, do have a deeper farm system rather than just putting all your eggs in fewer baskets. Uh, So I don't know if they are going to take Andrew Jones. Uh, I like Pittsburgh last year, Baltimore just seems like they're going to not tell anyone. It is a very small group of people who are ultimately making this decision 
and only they and the player representatives that they're talking to at the very end right before the pick is made are the ones who are going to know until we know right before draft time. Probably. Probably. Um, I do think Drew will go one or two, that if he doesn't go one and Baltimore does cut a deal with someone, that the Diamondbacks will just take him second. Uh, And then Texas at three is where things start to become interesting. I do think Elijah Green is actually in their mix at three. That's sort of against type for them the last couple of years as they've kind of moved away from that and, and more into the Josh Young, like college performer types of the world a little bit earlier. Um, Cam Collier's name you know, the son of Lou Collier, former big leaguer, uh, utility guy, Cam sort of took the Bryce Harper path where he left high school early, went to a junior college. He's quite good as well. He could sneak up into this area, uh, left-handed hitting third baseman with a plus-plus arm, really performed as a very young for the, you know, the draft class guy. And then again, against junior college pitching, he's like 17 and a half and, and you know, raking against junior college arms in the Southeast, like that's pretty good. Uh, So, you know, he's also sort of sneaking up into this mix, I think, especially teams that are model driven uh, and really care about player age on draft day. Uh, That that would be Pittsburgh at four. I think that, you know, you might see see a way that he enters into their mix. Uh, But I do think that the way uh, things set up for Washington is that unless, again, they might have a divergent opinion about any one of these guys. And if that is who is left staring them in the face, then there might be a reason for them to get creative. This is a deep enough draft class that, you know, if your pocket gets picked, you feel like you're the first team picking in that next tier of guys that whoever from that tier of guys that will cut the best deal for you, that's who you should take. And then that gives you more money try to coax a player down from the 25 to 30 area back to your second pick at 45. And maybe you end up with a high school pitcher that you ordinarily wouldn't have because they were, you call their agent and you say, Hey, I saved 2 million with my first pick. I got an extra 1.5 for your guy. Ask everybody for 4 million. And if all those teams picking at the back of the first round and in the comp round balk at that, then you have an extra guy. Uh, but, you know, I don't think there's a reason for the Nats to necessarily proactively be that creative uh, just because I like that first five group of players. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So, Eric, here's something I'm obsessed with. Um, I was a college player myself 20 years ago. I was not the kind of guy that you would have written about. If someone suggested, you would have just said no, and that would have been the end of the meeting. But college (laughs) pitching is ridiculous at this point. I mean, I remember it was a huge deal when we faced like that one guy that threw 95 miles an hour. Now that's like a midweek reliever um, that, that you know has an ERA of 9 or 10. I feel like college pitching has never been nastier. It's unbelievable. This, the, the highlights that you see, and then you're watching the lead-ups to the College World Series, etc. And yet, 
No college pitchers really towards the top of the board. You got to get down into the 20s, according to most folks, to find that. It's a dichotomy that I can't quite wrap my head around. Injuries, man. Yeah, I'd love for you to kind of give us a state of the union, the why. Just just educate us. Yeah, it's such a fascinating development. There are lots of different, in my mind, there are lots of different variables that are contributing to this. Some of it is just the way pitching usage at the big league level is being spread out. That for sure you still have your elite top of the rotation guys, that, but driving the middle of your rotation to pitch 200-plus innings isn't a thing anyone's doing anymore. All of those innings are getting spread out across guys with option years, long relievers. And so I think the way I'm trying to project pitching is a little bit like that, where you want to try to envision what types of roles everyone can play. So that's one thing. And then the injury portion of it is, is also a factor. Pitchers just tend to get hurt in ways that have a meaningful impact on their prospectum. And it's, it happens all the time. Uh, it's happened with many of the, the top pro- pitching prospects in baseball over the last 10 years with, you know, Brent Honeywell and AJ Puck and Alex Reyes, like the list is really long, Sixto Sanchez. Um, and so it just would be foolish to continue to value players in that area. They're becoming the running backs of the baseball draft. And uh, the other portion of it is the player development piece, which is you can really change pitchers and do it fast. So Cleveland's draft class last year, they took a ton of college pitchers who didn't throw very hard. They just had good command and like four distinct pitches often. And by the fall, just a couple months after they had had them under their wing, so many of these guys were touching 96 when they were sitting 88 to 91 at like UC Irvine. And, you know, Tanner Bibby, who I saw sit 86 to 89 one day at Fullerton, has been sitting 94 to 97 this year, like less than 12 months from when he was drafted. Velocity is just the easiest thing to develop anymore because of driveline baseball. Our general understanding of biomechanics has changed. And so all of these different things are operating independent of one another, but they're changing uh, all at the same time. And so a bunch of these things have had a knock-on effect where the industry values pitching less. You need more pitching. You need more depth because so many of these guys are getting hurt. Teams understand that now, so they're, they're valuing the player population in that way. You need all this pitching depth. Think about all the moves that the Rays make on the, the roster margin, claiming guys on waivers You know that they throw in their bullpen for a little while and throw their slider 60% of the time. Like You just need all the pitching, but at the same time, Tyler Glass now gets hurt, and Chris Archer gets hurt and then isn't the same. And, you know, not everyone is Justin Verlander. So uh, here in this draft, we have a bunch of guys who have gotten Tommy John. We have one guy who had a PED suspension and didn't pitch the whole year. Uh, We have, you know, the highest profile amateur pitcher of the last decade whose medical got whacked last year, and now he's throwing hard again, but no one's really sure what to do. And so with all these nice, you know, up-the-middle college performers and these, you know, these huge college outfielders with, with big power, but weird swings, like they're every bit as risky as the high school pitcher who just had Tommy John. And, you know, so they're just sort of in the mix with these groups of guys who have all fallen in this year's draft while the industry is generally starting to 
value them a little bit differently. That's a great breakdown. And there's a lot of moving parts, but it's it's well said and a lot of food for thought there for our listeners here on Bustin' Loose Baseball. All right, I want to ask you before we let you go about the system, because you actually wrote a piece we talked about last week here on the show, which was about the Nat system, kind of an updated top 29. And I follow their system really closely. And, and by, this is my favorite ranking that I've seen in terms of like moving guys to where that they maybe should be. So for, for what it's worth, from one dumb guy's opinion, good job. Uh, I like where Jeremy De La Rosa, you moved up. I, I like that Brixie's starting to get a little attention, uh, who has had a really nice year in AA. I'm curious, though, when you look at this system, is it as bad as we are all kind of worrying that it is after the drop-off of the, the top handful of guys? Yeah, I mean, some of it is just that the the org has taken the posture it has the last handful of years where they were buyers and they were competing. Um, some of it is Josiah Green and Cuba Ruiz just aren't on here, right? Uh, but, but yeah, it's the nationals from my perspective, and it's much harder for me to get a real feel for the way they go about it, living in Arizona, being at our complexes here and not at the ones in Florida, right? Where you're surround player dev people all the time and you get to know people in the Oregon, the way they go about it. But from afar, the nationals are probably on the very low end of teams in terms of incorporating analytics, you know, uh, building the technological infrastructure that would allow you to take advantage of some of the, the biomechanical advances uh, in understanding that have occurred. You know, like it takes time to like build a, a lab and stuff like that, put a camera array at your spring training stadium. That's, you know, tracking everyone's kinetic movement. Like this, this is what the giants are doing. Right. But I don't think it's what the nationals necessarily are doing. And so the teams that you see doing that stuff seem to be able to, develop pitching. They are the ones who have been more interested in that uh, over the last 10 years or so. And so they are a little bit ahead and they take pitching and make it better. And so the nationals haven't really been able to do that. Even some of these really young, interesting guys like Andre Lara, uh, they haven't really gotten much better. Uh, I do think that the nationals are good at picking them, that they find a way to like hit on picks and guys in trades uh, at a rate that is abnormally high. And that would seem to also point to their, you know, their boots on the ground scouting team. Uh, and they have to have like a lot of confidence in an individual that way to like make a trade where they get a couple guys back from Oakland and just to make sure that they're pieces that are going to contribute. Um, like think about, think about the think about Taylor Trammell. Grant, for sure there were times I was on the phone with you after a trade deadline, and we were like, hey, Taylor Trammell is one of the best prospects that was traded at this deadline, right? And right. then it happened two years in a row. Like three and, straight years we had that conversation, I feel like. Right. And it just wasn't, you know, he just couldn't hit a big league fastball there right away, and he's trying to adjust, and we'll see how things play out. But we were all too high on him he, just because he couldn't hit those top of his own big league fastballs, and that was it. But, like, the Nationals – don't tend to, to miss on guys in that same way. But at the same time, like Jackson Rutledge hasn't really gotten any better. He's still an A ball. That's kind of weird. Like, there's just all sorts of weird stuff like Matt Cronin. All these older guys are, they're like at levels lower than you would think. 
Uh, I write about that in the system overview on, on the piece where it's like, I'm not really sure what's going on here. I'm sure they have internal benchmarks for promotion, but at some point, some of these older guys, you just have to see if they're good enough to put on your 40 man or not. And you got to like hit the gas with promoting them a little bit. And they just don't tend to do that. Like they tend to do the opposite of that sometimes. Uh, like why is Tim Kate Nabal? What's going on? Did he do something? <laughs> I've heard his name, it feels like, for nine years. And then I look up a Wilmington box score, and I'm like, oh, someone else with the name Kate. Oh, like, my oh, God, they made Wilmington the AAA affiliate. No, they didn't. <laughs> right. Like, at some point, I get it. If Tim Kate isn't great, I think Tim Kate's fine. Like, he's an athletic lefty with three pitches. His breaking ball has good depth. Like, he's probably a fringe roster guy at, at the very least. Again, you need pitch so much pitching depth. But at some point, I want to know if that's true or not, and he should just be at Rochester. Uh, so I don't know. There's, it's, a hard, it's a hard system to wrap your head around. I do like a bunch of the guys that they've traded for, like the guys that they traded for last summer at the deadline. Some of the guys they've drafted, T.J. White. T.J. White's – I don't know if T.J. White's going to be able to hit up upper-level pitching, but his tools are ridiculous for where they drafted him and, and what his bonus was. Like, that's a great pick. Already, I think, you know, even if he never is a big leaguer, in my mind already, that's a good pick. But in terms of the developmental piece of it and their ability to build the same depth that some of these best orgs can, it just doesn't seem to be there. Um, yeah, you know, like Zach Brecky, I like him a lot. He was on the list last year already just because, again, like, look at this guy's fastball carry on paper and then go watch him and go, wow, look at how big and athletic this guy is. Look at how great his arm action is. And the way his fastball is blowing past people, like I'm putting this guy on the list. So you can integrate both things, but he doesn't have slider command yet. He could probably have a better breaking ball than he does. Like these are the things that aren't getting done here. I don't think, um, but yeah, the top of the system is still pretty exciting. Eric, really informative stuff, man. Appreciate the conversation, man. Be well. Thank you. You guys too.